politics, power, and the people. From Washington, D.C., this is The Week on the Hill. The photograph that all of us saw this week should tear all of us up. For those of us who are parents, to see a toddler with her little arms wrapped around the neck of her father. I hope that picture alone will catalyze this Congress, this Senate, this committee to do something. The grim reality of what's happening at the border was brought home by the photo of the father and his little girl who drowned in the Rio Grande. And it came up time and again in Congress, with Texas Democrat Veronica Escobar leading a moment of silence on the House floor and Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson speaking emotionally about it during a Homeland Security hearing on the border. I'm WTOP's Mitchell Miller, and there was a lot of drama surrounding billions of dollars in humanitarian funding for the border. At one point, it was unclear whether Congress would pass legislation to provide the money before leaving for the holiday break. The House and Senate passed their own border bills, and many Democrats said they wouldn't go along with the Senate measure, even after it passed by an 84-8 margin in the upper chamber. But a reluctant and defiant House Speaker Nancy Pelosi eventually gave in and allowed a House vote on the Senate bill bill, which progressive Democrats complain doesn't do enough to protect migrant children from deplorable conditions at border facilities. The current situation on the border is shameful and does not reflect America's values. We don't need anyone, especially the United States Senate, to tell us that the, what the needs are on the border and that we have to act expeditiously. But Republicans say Democrats dragged out the border battle for far too long before finally approving the $4.6 billion funding package, which 95 Democrats opposed. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. It should not have been this hard uh, to do this. And I'm proud of the Senate for stepping up, passing a bill 84 to 8, about as bipartisan as it gets around here, to deal with the humanitarian crisis at the border. President Trump has indicated he'll sign the bill into law. The race for president, meanwhile, is ramping up after two Democratic presidential debates involving a total of 20 candidates were held in Miami. The signature moment came on the second night, as California Senator Kamala Harris squared off with former Senator and Vice President Joe Biden. I do not believe you are a racist, and I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful, to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. Mischaracterization my position across the board. I did not praise racist. That is not true. Number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when, in fact, when, in fact, when, in fact, my city was in flames because of the, the 
uh, assassination of Dr. King. Number one. No, number two, as the U.S. as excuse me, as the uh, uh, vice president of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it we dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing. The busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But they, Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then? No, do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I oppose. Political observers agree the moment during the debate on NBC was a home run for Harris and that Biden could have had a better night. Biden quickly tried to rebound on Friday, defending his civil rights record during a speech to the Rainbow Push Coalition convention in Chicago. I've always been in favor of using federal authority to overcome state-initiated segregation. In fact, I cast a deciding vote in 1974 against an amendment called the Gurney Amendment which would have banned the right of the federal courts to be able to use busing as a remedy. And you might guess, in the middle of the most extensive busing order in American history in my city, in my state, it wasn't what you'd call the most popular vote in the country at the time. As for the other candidates, the general consensus was that Senator Elizabeth Warren did well on the first night, while former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke did not do so well. And on the second night, that South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg held his own while dealing with racial questions related to the police-involved shooting in his city, while Senator Bernie Sanders was steady and consistent. With several senators in the race, the debate created a unique situation for a vote on the Senate floor Friday on an amendment to require congressional approval for military action against Iran. The Senate vote was one of the longest in recent history, beginning at 5 a.m. and running throughout the day, so candidates could get back from Miami to cast votes. The amendment fell short of the 60 votes needed for passage, with Democrats failing to secure enough support from across the aisle. Reaching across the aisle has become less and less common here in Washington, but there's one annual event that always brings Republicans and Democrats together. The Congressional Baseball Game, which was again played at Nats Park, home of the Washington Nationals. Steve Scalise will bat leadoff for the Republicans, wearing number one. The heart and soul of this GOP team. And it, honestly, it's impressive for him just to be able to be out here. Uh, he's he is clearly not back to his former self, but he's committed to at least playing in this game as much as he can. First pitch taken for a strike. Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise, who was among those shot by a gunman during a GOP practice over two years ago, continues to keep recovering and playing for the Republican team. I was fortunate to be able to join the WTOP broadcast team of Dave Preston and Noah Frank in the booth for the game. Two out here in the top of the seventh. The 3-2 pitch, swing and a miss. And the Democrats beat the Republicans 14-7. Cedric Richmond strikes out the side. To end whatever threat there may have been, he finishes with seven strikeouts on the evening, collects the win, improves to 
8-0 and in the Congressional Baseball Series. Gentlemen, thanks for sharing the best seat in the House with me this evening as the Democrats defeat the Republicans 14-7. This has been the 58th Annual Congressional Baseball Game on C-SPAN, federalnewsnetwork.com, WTOP.com. For Mitchell Miller and Noah Frank, this is Dave Preston. I'll see you on the third baseline. We'll join up again after the 4th of July break. Have a great holiday. I'm WTOP's Mitchell Miller, and this is The Week on the Hill.